Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species on this very wet Sunday. I hope you're all uh, snuggled up somewhere cosy and nice and tuning in. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. We are dedicated to raising awareness about all issues concerning animals, including animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and appreciation. We're broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia. Live streaming and recent podcasts are available, uh, sorry, available from the Freedom of Species website. And iTunes also has um, past podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Emma Townsend. The reason why... We had to have a program on 3CR was because of the failure uh, of other radio stations, so-called independent radio stations, which were not letting us have our say. It's up to you to keep independent voices on air. Donate now to 3CR's 40th birthday, Radical Radiothon. 3CR was giving us the opportunity to tell our story as it was and I wouldn't be exaggerating if I say 3CR has been the backbone of our struggle in Australia. Donate now to keep radio radical. It's that time of year again, and I I try and get over my cringe moments of asking for money, but here goes. We are all volunteers here at Freedom of Species and the other programs as well. So 3CR needs money to keep us on the airwaves. So whatever you can donate is much appreciated. The gold coins that you find you accidentally put through the washing machine, they'll do nicely, thanks. Anything that you can donate will be much appreciated. So please call 3CR on 9419 During business hours, please, uh, that's Monday through Friday. Or you can pop by and check out the studio. We're a very welcoming bunch here. And the studio is 21 Smith Street, Collingwood. Uh, please state that Freedom of Species is the show that you are donating towards as we actually all have our own targets. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, oh, hey, oh. 
Hey y'all, this is Natalie from Blue King Brown and you're listening to 3CR. Support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. So a lot of us have chosen a plant-based diet for many valid reasons. We may find out that the animal protection laws our beloved pooch or cat benefit from do not apply to animals in the food production system, even though they feel pain, suffering and have complex emotional lives as any other living being. This exemption from cruelty laws saves the industry money. That's the bottom line. By allowing surgical procedures such as castration and teeth clipping to be performed without anaesthetic. And the exemptions also allow for the severe confinement that we so often see on social media so they can barely move their entire uncomfortable lives. We heard on Freedom of Species last week also from the author of a recent Oxford University study on the outstanding benefits of adopting a vegan diet for mitigating the extreme effects of climate change and, for one, bringing down greenhouse gas emissions by a whopping two-thirds. For some of us, all our ethical choices we make for human consumption come to a grinding and understandably confused halt when it comes to buying food for our own cats and dogs. Have you thought about a vegan or vegetarian diet for your pet cat or dog? Professor Andrew Knight is setting up a Centre for Animal Welfare at the University of Winchester in the UK. And as a sideline, for those of you interested in a career shift or change, he's about to launch an exciting new course in animal welfare you can study online from September. Andrew is also a veterinarian who has created a website called Veggie Pets. And I ask him why we would put our cats and dogs on veggie diets. And later on in the program... He tells us how. So I'm Professor Andrew and I'm at the University of Winchester in the United Kingdom uh, setting up a centre for animal welfare there. I'm also a veterinarian uh, with a special interest in uh, vegetarian and vegan diets for cats and dogs and the creator of uh, the website uh, veggiepets.info, V-E-G-E-Pets.info. Thank you so much for joining us today on Freedom of Species, Andrew. Look, the the dogs that I had growing up were fed the family scraps off the table after dinner. And I must admit, I'm really embarrassed to to mention what the lab crosses I have now pick up and eat in the park. But um, a lot of us would think we're doing our companion animal cat and dog a favour by buying the mainstream commercial pet food uh, at the moment because they're so uh, it seemed to be tailored to the dog or cat you know you've got all kinds of varieties you know for puppy dogs and adults and you know light and mature etc you give us cause for alarm about the ingredients in these products can we talk about the ingredients and when we refer to pet food in the course of this discussion, are we referring to all commercial pet food in Australia and globally or just in the UK? Well, in the sense that the products have got all the nutritional requirements for the different you know, cats and dogs in different life stages, that's great. The problem with the commercial brands is that they very often have high proportions of uh, byproducts or meat meal in them or other potentially hazardous ingredients. And those can be the meat which comes from 
animals which arrive at slaughterhouses, uh, dead, uh, diseased, disabled or dying on arrival and are rejected from the human food chain and end up in the animal food chain instead. That can be the parts of the animals uh, that are considered unfit for human consumption, such as uh, things like the, the ligaments, the tendons, the connective tissues, sometimes bits of hooves and hair and things like that end up in the animal food chain, uh, meat which is considered to be diseased or, or cancerous uh, or potentially infected as well. So there is all of that coming from the slaughterhouses and there are other uh, unpleasant things that go in as well. There is meat which is donated essentially by supermarkets because it's considered to be past the use-by date and so it can't be consumed by people. Uh, that can end up in the animal food chain. There have been cases reported where the styrofoam packaging is, is not necessarily removed. Uh, the, the products are simply blended into the, the uh, pet food production process. Uh, there have been surveys showing that um, dog food brands uh, have detecting detectable levels of euthanizing solution in them uh, because there are so many animals that are euthanized in animal shelters because of lack of homes and sometimes they are sold on to the rendering companies as well for uh, incorporation into the animal food chain. Um, so there are all sorts of um, things as well as the, the good nutrients that the cats and dogs need. There are all sorts of uh, byproducts and things which are potentially harmful for the animals uh, appearing in these, in these brands. It's better in places where things like hormones and antibiotics, uh, growth promotants are not allowed to be put into the food chain, in, into the food producing animals, but where brands are imported from countries where that, that is still common, such as the United States, then that is an issue as well, the issue of uh, hormone line antibiotic drug residues in in, in the foods as well. You hit on a point there when it comes to production. We are dealing with the big business end of town, aren't we? In one of the articles on your website, VegPets website, you know, a lot of the pet food companies are owned by the big players such as Procter and Gamble, Palmolive, Nestle, and there's very when you're dealing with such big business, they want to in your words save every penny they don't want to spend any more pennies so we are dealing with a global issue here yeah indeed um so the uh, commercial pet food sector is considered a vast industrial dumping ground really for products that are unfit for human consumption but uh, the companies still want to be able to squeeze a bit more money out of them so these bits of animal carcasses which would be condemned otherwise and not used for human consumption are, are diverted into the, the animal food chain so that some more money can be made from them. That's usually what happens. It doesn't happen in the case of premium pet food brands when higher quality meats are incorporated but in this case, um, although the diets are healthier, there is an, a more of an ethical concern because in this case you're getting animals, food, food animals of course, are being raised and killed just for for the dogs and cats themselves rather than simply byproducts of the human food production process. So there's, there's a bigger ethical problem there. You are tuned in to Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves on 3CR 855 AM, Independent Community Radio. We are chatting with Professor Andrew Knight from the University of Winchester, who is also a veterinarian, who's speaking with us today about vegetarian and vegan diets for cats and dogs. In your article, Fishy Business, you 
to, to what extent are they unnatural ingredients, Andrew? Because you, you refer to a double standard when one resists feeding healthy vegan diets to cats and dogs. To, to what extent, though, are they unnatural? Because wouldn't these animals be eating other animals if they were left to their own devices? Yeah. Well, people often think that vegan or vegetarian diets for cats and dogs are completely unnatural and therefore should be rejected. They falsely assume that the commercial meat-based diets they're feeding are somehow natural. But of course, if you think about what actually goes into those diets, you realise that um, actually we're asking cats and dogs to eat basically uh, cows, sheep, pigs, uh, fish from the sea, a range of animals that they would never naturally eat with a whole lot of additives added in which aren't necessarily very healthy. Things like the fast food restaurant greases that are used again and again to deep fry products and accumulate free radicals and trans fatty acids. They can be sold to the pet food companies as fat blenders. The various rejects from the supermarkets and from the slaughterhouses with the potentially the antibiotic and hormonal residues added in. So plenty of unnatural things also going into this concoction of animal part from animals to animals that the cats and dogs would never naturally eat anyway. If you think about the natural lifestyle of a cat in the wild, for example, or on the the diversion of the cat before it became domesticated, its natural diet consisted of a variety of large insects and birds and small mammals and when the cat was able to kill one of these it would eat as much as possible to prevent consumption by any other animals in the area. Following that there would be an uncertain period of hunger so that's the natural feeding regime of a cat whereas today we expect cats to eat essentially body parts from from cows, from sheep, from fish and from pigs fed at predictable times morning and night along with lots of other unnatural and probably unhealthy ingredients added into uh, to their food. So, so actually people engage in fallacious thinking I, I, I believe when they consider that the commercial pet foods and the normal feeding regime in any way resemble what is natural for a cat or a dog. Can you tell us about uh, the ingredient digest? Yeah, uh, digest is one of these extra things that are added into commercial meat-based diets for cats and dogs and it's considered by the pet food industry to be the most powerful breakthrough in increasing the palatability or the tastiness of pet food for cats and dogs and so increasing sales for the industry. It actually consists of partially dissolved intestines, lungs, livers and miscellaneous organs of mostly chickens and they're they're partially digested using a series of enzymes and additives uh, which are closely guarded trade secrets and the whole process is arrested partway towards the production of a sort of a, a soupy stew by the addition of a strong acid, uh, usually phosphoric acid, and the result is a bit of a soupy mess of partially dissolved intestines primarily and, and other organs, which are then added into the the mix of the pet food and give it a very distinctive flavour. Some of these batches are considered to taste more like beef and some are more like fish and and that may result in a label being added to the tin or the packet that says it's sort of a beef stew or ocean white fish 
and that may uh, have more to do with the flavour of the batch of digest going into the product than with the actual animal ingredients that are in the in the uh, feed. So it's a very powerful, very powerful uh, palatability enhancer, which is able to convince what many of us know are otherwise very intelligent dogs and cats uh, to eat things that uh, no cat or dog in its right mind would normally contemplate eating, I think. Wow. Can you tell us about some other in- ingredients that really should ring alarm bells? Well, as I say, there are the sort of the byproducts uh, from the slaughterhouses, so the meat which is considered unfit for human consumption, so the, the hair, the gristle, the connective tissues, the cancerous tissue, the infected tissue, the animals that arrive diseased, dying, um, sorry, diseased, dying, dead and disabled at the slaughterhouse. Uh, none of that meat can go into the human food chain. Uh, there are the uh, restaurant greases that are used to deep fry food products again and again and accumulate bits of ash and uh, free radicals and trans fatty acids. There are the rendered uh, cats and dogs from animal shelters. There are the hormones and antibiotic drug residues. There are a variety of pathogenic additives. The fungal contaminants are when the dry food packets, for example, are stored in warehouses for a prolonged period of time. If there is any fungal contamination going on, the fungi can produce uh, things like aflatoxins, which are fungal toxins which uh, can cause serious health problems in animals. Deaths uh, have sometimes occurred when outbreaks of aflatoxicosis has been recorded. There are bacterial toxins, endotoxins and others potentially prions and other pathogens. When meat is not properly cooked, there is a much greater risk of um, bacterial pathogens and worms and other pathogens, protozoa as well. You're listening to 3CR 855am, Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. We are speaking with Professor Andrew Knight from the University of Winchester, who is also a veterinarian. We're chatting with him about vegetarian and vegan diets for dogs and cats. Andrew's been informing us of the horrifying and seemingly never-ending list of ingredients that can be found in mainstream pet food and the health hazards that they represent. I asked him about the scientific research to back up these claims. Sure. I had an interesting time when I was starting to research this whole topic because there's a lot of urban wisdom that asserts that feeding vegetarian and vegan diets to cats uh, and dogs would be unhealthy. So I went searching for this evidence in the scientific literature and oddly I couldn't find any. All I did find was one study that uh, showed that if there were cats that were fed a diet that was known in advance to be deficient in potassium, so not a normal diet but an altered one, then in the course of time they would get a disease associated with potassium deficiency so so no uh, rocket science going on there quite obvious uh, in that case i accidentally found uh, another 10 studies i think it's up to 11 now that have demonstrated various health problems um, that occur in cats and dogs that have fed commercial meat-based diets uh, i wasn't even looking for these other studies but i i found studies uh, published in leading uh, journals in the field, such as the Journal of the American Veterinary Association, uh, Cornell Veterinarian, Journal of Small Animal Practice, and others, um, describing diseases such as uh, kidney disease, liver disease, heart disease, neurologic disease, muscular disease, skeletal disorders, birth defects, bleeding disorders, skin uh, allergies as well. 
following long-term maintenance of cats and dogs on commercial meat-based diets. So there's quite a lot of evidence, I think, out there demonstrating that long-term exposure to the ingredients in these diets can cause health problems. Certainly as a, as a veterinarian who was in, in practice for many years, I was a small animal veterinarian before I went into university teaching. As with my colleagues, we've seen so many cats and dogs with diseases which are a bit like the so-called uh, degenerative diseases that people get as we get older because of our diets, which are uh, in, in the Western world very concentrated in saturated fats, sugars and cholesterol. We tend to get things like obesity, diabetes, arthritis, cardiovascular disease, strokes and so on. Unfortunately, animals are starting to parallel this. We are feeding them essentially too much. They're becoming overweight. They are experiencing increased incidences of cancers, kidney disease, skin diseases, and many other diseases as well. Part of that is probably simply too much uh, nutrition, uh, too much feeding, and part of it is probably long-term exposure to potentially hazardous ingredients in the diets, I think. Even if you want to do the right thing, uh, pet food is not covered by the same legislation as, as food for human consumption, you say in your article. So obviously these the, the vague or obscure labelling of ingredients in light of what you've told us of what's actually in the product really you know, don't help. So if you're a consumer, you can't even really check that out can you well uh very interestingly a study has been published within the last few months within the general of the american veterinary medical association demonstrating that a very large proportion of the pet food brands that they surveyed in the study did not comply with the labeling requirements so obviously that kind of thing does make it really hard for people to accurately get an idea of, of what is in the uh, brands of cat and dog food Obviously, people should have a look at the packets and the labels and particularly look out for um, any information about the, the product being nutritionally complete for adult or juvenile cats and dogs and try to see what's going in. Look out for things like digest and byproducts and meat milk. But, but yes, there seems to be high rates of non-compliance of the companies with labelling requirements, unfortunately, so it, it is a concern. Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am Tune in and listen up. You are tuned in to Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. We are chatting with Professor Andrew Knight from the University of Winchester, who is also a veterinarian, who's speaking with us today about vegetarian and vegan diets for cats and dogs. Before we get to like some solutionary questions, in if you want to transition your dog or cat to a, a veggie diet. Let's just talk about these. I think the article was by Katie Brown that you've got on your website as well in her damning report of different companies that 
you know, there's human rights issues, there's environmental issues because they may use a high, you know, a palm oil. They use factory farmed animals. Um, they have human rights issues. These companies, pet food companies, also are involved in animal testing when it comes to the pet food. Can you tell us about the animal testing that takes place because of this mainstream meat-based pet food? Sure. Well, there's two ways that companies can um, demonstrate to regulatory authorities that their diets are safe and can be released onto the market. One is that they can claim that they're formulating their diet to meet the published nutritional requirements. And the second way is that they can have animals maintained on the diet for uh, a feeding trial uh, period of perhaps six months and uh, the animals need to be monitored and show that they're not losing weight and that none of them have died and that they uh, continue to be reasonably healthy. So uh, the animals maintained in, in those feeding trials are, are often in laboratories. They will be confined in an artificial environment uh, with very limited access to the outdoors, if any. Uh, dogs tend to have a requirement that they need to be walked once a day, but there's no requirement that cats um, need to be you know, released from their cages, essentially, so they may be confined uh, in an artificial environment with no access to sunlight or fresh air really for um, up to six months so it's not a very pleasant environment for them so that's what goes on in the feeding trial and indeed you, you've mentioned uh, the other concerns associated with the production of some of these diets the human rights concerns uh, palm oil and so on um, when we're talking about body parts coming from animals killed in abattoirs of course, that's not just a huge concern for the food animals that are being killed and the conditions in which many of them are raised uh, and the very serious animal welfare concerns going on there, but also, of course, for the workers in these abattoirs too. And it's been uh, well documented, actually, that workers are often very exploited in these environments. Uh, they have very high rates of injuries, um, it's very stressful working environments. There's a lot of pressure on the production line not to do anything to slow it down. People often can't even take uh, toilet breaks and it's a, it's a dangerous, stressful and exhausting environment in which to work. So yes, there's a range of concerns associated with the production of these diets and I really encourage people to look at healthier alternatives really for their pet animals and also for the, the so-called food animals that are, are killed and of course for the human workers that are involved in making commercial meat-based diets. It's quite a sinister irony, isn't it, in the marketing spin being so kind to your companion animal means buying this product, yet it's, it's so so destructive on so many levels. You're feeding an industry that is so destructive. Um, oh, of, of course. I mean, there's, there's multi-millions of dollars being made in the commercial pet food industry. Uh, all sorts of fairly glamorous packaging is used. Uh, new diets have been created uh, for different breeds of dogs for example uh, most of those are probably not really necessary to safeguard the health of of dogs so the, these sort of strategies are being used by the industry to try to make as much money as they can from from people's compassion for the for their animals frankly and it's it's not uh, certainly not ethical given the uh, very serious animal welfare costs that go into producing these diets, their potential impacts on the cats and dogs maintained on them long term and of course on the workers that are involved in, in producing those diets as well. Do you have any figures on like what the pet food industry is worth? 
Uh, I don't have any recent information, unfortunately, but it's certainly a multi-million dollar industry. Before we go back to our chat with Professor Andrew Knight, veterinarian and creator of the Veggie Pets website, and do stay tuned because he's going to tell us how to transition our pet dog or cat to a veggie diet, I thought we'd have a bit of a bit of a tune break. This is called Pass the Veggies, Please. So now it's time to go back to our chat with Professor Andrew Knight and the claws are going to come out a bit more in the conversation as we delve into the divisive issue of a vegan diet for cats. It's another divisive issue when it comes to cats and dogs and feeding cats a vegan vegetarian diet as opposed to dogs. Can you, I guess you you hit on it a bit before about how a cat would feed in the wild, but can you Give us your opinion on on that as a veterinarian. Why it's so divisive with cats? Well, people will understand that dogs are biologically considered to be omnivorous, so they can eat both plant and animal materials in in their environments, whereas cats are biologically considered to be obligate carnivores because they're not able to obtain enough nutrition from the plant materials naturally available in their environment to be able to survive without eating other animals. Both cats and dogs do consume vegetable matter in their natural environments, but that's primarily sourced from the intestines of the prey animals that they consume. So cats do have a requirement for a high proportion of protein in their diet, uh, which is normally obtained from eating animals because they're very dense in protein. They're highly evolved to be hunters, um, and so that's what they do. None of this is very relevant to how we should feed cats in the very artificial uh, worlds in which we, we keep them today. What's important for cats and dogs is that we give them the full range of nutrients that they require, and of course those are different for cats and dogs and can be a bit different for life stages, puppies and kittens versus adults. Um, that we give them that full range of nutrients in a way that is uh, sufficiently palatable, i.e. tasty, um, smells good, looks good, so the animals will eat them, uh, sufficiently digestible so that they will be able to absorb enough nutrition from the diets and also that the nutrition is able to be absorbed into the body and, and transported around the body and effectively utilised and without the hazardous ingredients that are so often found in the commercial brands today. So those are the things that are important uh, mm-hmm. for a diet, for a, a cat or a dog maintained in, in the artificial yeah. world of, of our homes uh, today. It's almost like you're asking us to really disconnect from a, it's It's from an, a, a human-centric emotional view that we think, oh, I'm going to be cruel because cats, you know, we, not having looked into the issue because cats wouldn't, you know, normally eat meat. So, you know, it's... it's it's uh, letting go of that mental emotional issue and saying, hey, what does this cat need in this environment now? And what's the best way I can do that? Yeah, indeed. I mean, it has been argued that it's actually crueler um, to, to basically force uh, a cat or a dog to, to consume a whole lot of 
body parts from animals that it wouldn't naturally eat, along with a whole bunch of potentially dangerous additives added into it, all of those things like the, the pathogenic additives, the hormonal and antibiotic residues, uh, the, the uh, fast food uh, supermarket rejects and grease and, and so on. It's been argued that it's actually crueler to force these animals to consume these diets than to give them a healthy uh, vegetarian or vegan alternative diet that, that actually does uh, fulfill all their nutritional needs, uh, is tasty enough and palatable enough and doesn't include any of those hazardous ingredients. So mm. I think that's a very valid argument to be making. So if one is interested in transitioning their dog or cat to a vegan veg diet, can you just take us through how you should approach this? Yep, well, dogs uh, often have a reputation for eating first and asking questions later, <laughs> whereas cats can be very, very fussy. Um, and this can especially be true for cats that have been maintained on a particular brand of meat-based pet food with a certain flavour of digest for many, many years they become almost addicted to that particular flavour of digest which has been added into their food. So it can be very difficult to transition those animals onto a new diet. Um, probably the best way to go is to start by uh, mixing in a little bit of the new diet, say a vegetarian or vegan nutritionally complete uh, diet, uh, with a, a meal mostly consisting of the old diet, so say 10%, 90% proportions and mix it up as thoroughly as possible. Uh, don't be concerned if, if your cat very cleverly manages to pick its way around a new diet and, and refuses to eat it. Simply having it close to what it considers to be food will help to make the necessary uh, association in its mind. Um, you shouldn't act by your behaviour like anything strange is going on. You shouldn't make a fuss at all, do anything that may alarm or alert your animal. Just uh, act as if it's a perfectly normal meal. Uh, only put down fresh food. Uh, you can try adding in flavour enhancers such as a bit of vegetable oil, uh, nori flakes, spirulina, nutritional yeast flakes. These are all on the website, veggiepets.info. You can try uh, gently warming the food and uh, anything that's smelly can be good because the sense of smell is very important for cats and dogs and only offering fresh food, of course, if, if your animal doesn't eat it, then take it away and offer it again, at the, offer a, a new dish at the next meal time. After having tried that for perhaps half a week, you might want to switch to maybe 80%, 20%, and 70%, 30%, and gradually transition the diet to the, the new diet, as well as being psychologically and behaviourally much easier for your cat or your dog to deal with. This also allows a transition of the digestive enzymes and also the intestinal bacteria to a new set that's more able to deal with the, the changing food and this is less likely to cause acute reactions such as diarrhea. If you do see something like that happening then of course uh, back off to the, the older diet, let things stabilise and then gently try uh, the new diet again and if it happens a second time then I would give up and try a different vegetarian food brand um, as an alternative. You are tuned into Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves and we are chatting with Professor Andrew Knight from the University of Winchester about his website called Veggie Pets. Andrew is also a veterinarian. We've been discussing how one transitions their cat or dog to a vegetarian vegan diet. 
So you can make your own food as well, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's two options. You can make your own uh, food uh, using the ingredients that are supplied with the packets of basically supplement uh, powders which you, you obtain from the vegetarian pet food companies and these are nutritionally complete and you're supposed to add these supplements into the food that you're making for your cats or your dogs to ensure that they do get the full range of nutrients that they would need. Mm-hmm. It's not okay just to um, do a homemade diet without adding in a nutritional supplement because it will result in a dietary deficiency and it won't necessarily happen quickly but eventually in months or years uh, your animal may suffer from a, a dietary deficiency if, if it's not getting the full range of nutrients that it needs. So you can make the homemade diet that way. Uh, it's more tedious and takes more time or you can buy a commercial vegetarian or vegan diet which is which is ready made and has all the nutrients already mixed into it. It's much, much easier of course but it does cost a little bit more than, than trying to make your own food at home. Okay and look one ingredient just you know in le- neon lights in my mind when it comes to cats, taurine. Well, lots of people say well cats need taurine. Can you comment on that? Yeah sure. So taurine is an amino acid and deficiency of taurine will result uh, eventually in um, blindness, uh, can also result in uh, cardiac disease in, in cats. Uh, it's very important that they, they do get taurine. Uh, the taurine that is, exists in, in meat is normally destroyed during the higher temperatures and pressures and chemical treatments involved in processing meat-based diets. And after the diet has been through processing, extra taurine has to be added back into the diet because it's all been destroyed the extra taurine that gets added in comes from a synthetic source. So you can use exactly the same synthetic source of taurine and add it into the uh, vegetarian and vegan diets as well, and that's what the manufacturers of those diets do. Um, So it is important that they get it. Uh, There's no need at all for it to be from a meat-based source. Uh, Indeed, that will probably be destroyed in processing. It's perfectly fine to use a synthetic source of taurine. That's a lot to... It's a lot to think about, and I guess we just go to veggiepets.info to find out some more details. Sure. There's one other thing I would encourage people to do, apart from making sure the diet is nutritionally complete. The other thing is that the um, acidity of the urine of cats and dogs can alter slightly when they go on to uh, vegetarian and vegan diets, and this can cause problems in a small proportion of these animals. So something I always like to tell people about and advise about how they can monitor for this happening and what they can do to correct it if it does happen. It happens because um, the urine can become slightly more alkaline uh, when the transition is made to vegetarian and vegan diets and this can cause little minerals to start to crystallize out of the urine and form tiny stones and bigger stones and it could potentially block up the urinary tract which is a problem in male cats more than any other animals. It only happens to a very small proportion, but um, because it can be a serious problem, I always uh, want to, to warn people about that and encourage people to actually try to check the uh, pH or the acidity of the urine on a regular basis. And if it's starting to become more alkaline, then to add some ingredients back into the diet to correct that. So it's easier than it sounds to actually do that. For a dog, you get a foil baking tray from the supermarket and shove it under when it tries to urinate. Uh, For a cat, you get some uh, little white 
plastic beads um, from your veterinarian, which they will give you if they want you to collect a urine sample at home for a medical reason. So you, you just get the same beads uh, so that you can put them in the cat's litter tray and uh, when the cat goes to urinate, you can collect some, some urine that way. You can actually wash those beads and dry them and keep them and reuse them. And if, if you do that in the beginning of the process and then after probably once a week during any dietary transition or if anything else is, is going on that might be unusual, such as a medical condition, and then long term, maybe once a month, if you do see uh, the urine acidity start to change because you're checking it with, say, a pH meter from a, a pet store that you use in a fish tank uh, or an electronic store or some litmus test strips uh, for a fish tank or uh, from your veterinarian, if you do see the urine start to become more alkaline, then there are a range of things you can add into the diet to, to correct that. Uh, and they're all listed on the website, veggiepets.info. What are some of those? Things like vitamin C, actually, okay. crushed up. There are methionine pills for cases where you want to really make a big change and you, you would need to get those from a veterinarian. And then there are a range of natural ingredients as well, some, some plant-based ingredients uh, as, as well will, will assist. That completes our chat about vegetarian and vegan diets for cats and dogs with Professor Andrew Knight from the University of Winchester. If you are looking for a career shift or change into the animal welfare world, Andrew is also busy as we speak, setting up a centre for animal welfare at the University of Winchester. And you can hear more about... um, the new course in animal welfare that he's organising uh, that you'll be able to study actually online uh, from this September. Uh, In a couple of weeks, we'll play a bit of a talk about um, that new course on freedom of species. And in the meantime, I'll put links to that course on the podcast page for today. This is Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Cootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals on 3CR, wishing your species all the best. I will just add... uh one more comment um, about diets for cats and dogs. There's a lot of marketing about kangaroo being a good kind of sustainable alternative to feeding your cat or dog. Before you do that, there, well, there's many great resources you can take a look at. Um, Voiceless, the Animal Protection Institute, the Australian Society for Kangaroos, and indeed our fellow FOS presenter, uh, Kate Elliott, did a great radio documentary called What's Up Skip about this and you just need to bear in mind that when kangaroos are shot for consumption this takes place at night a long way away and the chance of missing that kangaroo by your bullet and not getting a clean shot is is very possible and also the actual 
a legal way of if you've shot a female, then you must get rid of the uh, joey. And if the joey's there, you must uh, decapitate or with a blunt instrument, just kill it on the head there and then. Uh, If you have welfare concerns about this, then please stay away from kangaroo. Uh, There's also... If that kangaroo is at foot, if the kangaroo that's been shot has a joey that's at foot, may have run away, then that kangaroo is going to, you know, come back and mum's not there. Uh, And also the fact that the population data is very uh, dodgy when it comes to backing up this so-called population explosion that many people like to claim uh, that there is. All right. Time for some really good news, Uh, breaking news that happened on June the 3rd. This is from the Humane Research Australia website. The Australian government pledges to ban cosmetics, animal testing and trade, which is fantastic. And that is by July next year. And that's following a two-year campaign by uh, Be Cruelty Free Australia. So that's fantastic news. For more information, please go to the Humane Research Australia website There's quite a few community service announcements today. I'll try and get through. The Farm Animal Rescue Australia, which is in Daybro, Queensland, so listen up, Queenslanders, uh, is going to be held next Sunday, June the 12th at 10am until 2. That's next Sunday. So mark that in the diary. I hope it's I hope the storms have subsided by then. Um, what a great day out. You'll be able to meet the chickens, goats, sheep, cows, pigs and other very happy animals. Um, so the farm's open from 10am till 2. There'll be walking safaris. Uh, there is a, you know, if you could donate, donate a couple of bucks because these, these guys really need money to keep going and support. Um, you must wear fully enclosed shoes if you want to, you know, access the pig and cattle uh, paddock. So avoid disappointments and make sure you wear fully enclosed shoes. Um, take sunscreen, a hat and water, uh, wear long trousers um, and, you know, donations of fresh fruit and veggies for the animals are welcome. Um, they can accept donations of apples, watermelons, bananas, grapes, strawberries, pumpkins, pears, and carrots. So that's great. That's in Queensland, the farm open day next Sunday, June 12. We've also got an event in Sydney. The Sydney Dogs and Cats Home presents the big doggy day on June 11th. So that that's next Saturday, June 11th at 10am to 3pm in in St Peter's, Sydney Park, St Peter's, New South Wales. Um, so it's going to be a big group, hopefully, of people and dogs going for a lead walk. The Sydney Dogs and Cats Home is the only not-for-profit pound that doesn't place time limits on the, the animals' lives there, so that's great. Uh, all walking tracks begin and end in the Village Green there, um, where there will be dog focus stall and information stands and activities throughout the day. So if you want to find out more about that, their website is www.sydneydogsandcatshome.org. Sounds like a good one for Sydney ciders, 10 to 3pm on 11th June, Sydney Park, St Peter's. Get your pooch all prepared for that.
And this Saturday, the 11th of June, in Western Australia, in Perth, actually at the State Library there, Animal Liberation are hosting a silent demonstration from 10.30am to 1pm at the State Library. Uh, People will be asked to wear black and hold up signs advocating Animal Liberation's work. So please jump on the Animal Liberation Facebook page for more information, that's next this Saturday, the 11th of June. Okay, well, I better kind of um, get organised and stop waffling on air and let Encyclopedia get organised for their show at 1pm. Encyclopedia is a fantastic program, kind of really delves deep into all things drugs, basically, and all things um, legislation and otherwise in the area of drugs. Now, I will just say again, please, guys, donate for the Radiothon. It's on our Freedom of Species Radiothon. is just two weeks away. On Sunday, it'll be a live show and we'll play some good tunes and have a good chat. And please ring up during the show or in the meantime, please donate. You can ring 3CR on 9419 8377 or you can pop to the station which is 21 Smith Street, Collingwood, and and check out the place. It's a good vibe here. There's a lot of good cafes nearby if you want to have a coffee and then just come in here and and please donate whatever you can, you know. You might find a dusty bowl of change um, that's hanging around your stationary drawer. We need it. We really appreciate it. And when you do donate, please just designate that it's Freedom of Species, the show, because we all have our individual targets. All right. Thank you so much, Professor Andrew Knight. If you'd like to contact us, please do on info at freedomofspecies.org via the Facebook or Twitter. And our outro tune is Halu Galu. Here we go. It's a bit of an instrumental piece to take us out. Have a great Sunday afternoon. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.